0: Hello and welcome to the mastering show. My name is Ian Shepherd. I'm a mastering engineer and I run a website called Production Advice, where I aim to help you get the best results recording, mixing, and mastering your music. And with me again this week is my co-host John Tidy from ReaperBlog.net. John, I believe you're struggling to stay awake.
1: I am, but I'm super excited about this topic.
0: Sure am. <laughs> how, how, how excited are you, John? Are you? Are you You're bursting with excitement. You're overflowing with excitement. Your cup runneth over. Yes. Okay. So (laughs) what is the topic that uh, has John positively foaming at the mouth um, with anticipation? Uh, We're going to talk about gain staging, which uh, it's a pretty nerdy topic. So if you hate the nerdy episodes, listen anyway, because you'll learn something.
1: There have been many thousand post comment threads about this topic already this week so yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean that's why that's why this is the topic this week is just that yeah i've been participating in multiple threads on facebook about whether game staging matters or not when you're working in a digital audio workstation um and why and what the best way to kind of inform people about this is i wanted to do an episode talking about floating point anyway um and this topic is very closely related to that topic um and i just think there's probably plenty of people listening to this who will find this helpful um and so it'd be good to talk about it while it's if fresh in my mind
1: it's in the zeitgeist
0: <laughs> will it still be in the zeitgeist next week when this episode hits the internet though? no that's they'll, the
1: question they'll be, we'll, be outraged about something else
0: I'm yeah, sure. i know and we'll be old news and that's yeah so lame but anyway
1: should we give our, our stance on this so that, so that uh, people can just shut off if they disagree at the beginning?
0: You think we should just put our cards on the table and say what we think, yeah?
1: Yeah, let's do that. I say it does matter.
0: Yeah, I say it does matter. <laughs> All right. Um, but we should probably take some time saying why people... Because there is a valid argument for saying that it doesn't matter.
1: But that's what this show is
0: about. Um, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But um, well, before we do any of that, we need to say that because there are some people out there who go, what is gain staging anyway? So okay, w- what do you understand by the term of gain staging?
1: Gain staging to me is making sure that uh, each component in the signal chain is at the optimum level, making sure that if we're starting off with a microphone, like that instrument is loud enough over, you know, we're not recording something that's super quiet that can be actually louder going into the microphone, an appropriate amount of gain is being applied to that. If it's going into a compressor, it's not over compressing or um, adding noise at that point. It's not clipping the converter. It's not going too low into the computer. And then any sort of processing inside the computer is appropriate. Well, it's unlikely that you're doing things accidentally that would be terribly Destructive to it once you're inside the computer, um, but basically, yeah, it's it's just making sure that each component is not adding noise um, and it's not creating distortion or clipping at each point in the chain. There's also like impedance issues when you're talking about analog, but that that's besides the point.
0: I think in terms of the general topic, it's it's kind of on point because I mean, gain staging was absolutely critical when you used to work in analog i mean so you you mentioned the mic and you're absolutely right you need the signal to be loud enough that you're not getting hiss particularly in the early days when the mics weren't as sensitive um and you know you had valve technology or tube mics and that kind of stuff um but you don't want it to be distorting at the mic or the preamp um you don't want it to be sto- distorting anywhere inside the mixing desk if you're recording it to tape you want the signal to be hot enough that there's plenty of space between the signal and the noise floor but not distorting or at least not distorting any more than you might want because people like using tape to to get that kind of soft saturation sound so you might want to be rounding off some transients by recording to tape and then you play it back from tape and it comes back through the mixing desk and then yeah it's got to go through all these compressors i mean every stage in the chain uh, every piece of analog gear has its own inherent noise Depending on how it works, the quality of the components, all the rest of it, and they would all distort if you pushed them too hard. So it was absolutely drilled into engineers um, who worked in analog that this was absolutely crucial. And lots of those guys transitioning into using digital have brought all of those best practices with them and use them in digital. And I think that's the that's where this whole online debate comes in because there's uh lots of people saying that that's not necessary and and you said yourself there that kind of any digital processing is appropriate so i guess we should take a minute to explain briefly why people are saying it doesn't matter in the digital environment because you might think well you, you still have to stop the signal clipping um and you don't want it to record too quietly right because uh even though it's a digital system and you've got much more signal to noise ratio, you still have the the kind of the top of the digital scale where things will clip and distort and you still have the bottom of the scale where you have noise, either analog noise from the recording or dither noise or whatever it might be. The answer to why it doesn't really matter is this thing called floating point processing. So if you think about a, forget about floating point for a minute, if you just think about a 16-bit audio signal, uh, you've got 16 bits. Each of them stores a zero or a one. I forget what the exact number is, but it's something like there is 65,000 uh, different values that that 16-bit number can take. So, in a kind of crude, simplistic fashion, when you're sampling the analog signal to get that digital audio signal, any volume, any voltage in the original signal is being assigned one of those 65,000 values. On the digital scale. Now, of course, anybody who's listened to the dither episode is there going to be an episode of this where we don't mention the dither episode? <laughs> Will know that actually it's not that simple. You can actually effectively store numbers in between those sixty-five thousand levels um, by sacrificing a little bit of the the signal to noise ratio by adding dither. Anybody who hasn't listened to the dither episode yet is going to have to go and listen to it now. But um, what I'm interested in, in terms of this discussion, is thinking about the maximum level. If you think about all of those 16 bits being on some really loud signal right up at the top of the, the digital scale, so the peak levels are right up there, just kissing zero the entire time, basically, if you add any amount of gain to that signal, it's going to be a number that the digital system can't store, right? If 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 I forget what the actual number is, but if you're up there at 65,000 and you add Another thousand so that it's 66,000, the digital system is going to say, Well, I don't, I can't store 66,000 as a number. And that's the limitation of a fixed point digital system. Floating point is where you allocate an extra eight bits to something called the exponent, which is a multiplier. And actually, Uh, The floating point format we're most familiar with is 32-bit floating point, which consists of a 24-bit fixed point number and an 8-bit exponent, this multiplier. So the way that it works is imagine that the 24-bit part of the signal is storing the number 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Now, of course, in the real world, these numbers are stored in binary, but if I try and explain it in binary, nobody will ever understand it. So just for simplicity, let's imagine that the exponent is in base 10 right decimal the way we normally count numbers so the exponent goes in powers of 10 10 100 1000 10000 100000 and so on so you have 10 to the power of 1 is 1 10 to the power of 2 10 squared is 100 10 to the power of 3 10 cubed is 1000 10 to the power of 4 is 10000 and all the rest of it so you take your original number 12345 and you multiply it by whatever the exponent is. So let's say the exponent was 2, that's 10 to the power of 2 which is 200, so the computer basically assumes that the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 is 1.2345, and it multiplies it by 10 to the power of 2 which is 100, so you have 123.45, whereas if the exponent was 1 it would multiply it by 10 to the power of 1, which is by 10, so it would be 12.345. So the exponent moves the decimal point effectively and allows you to store much bigger numbers. If the exponent was 9, that's multiplying by a billion. So you'd have 1,234,500,000 would be your number. So you can immediately see suddenly you're not limited to what the fixed point number was by Introducing the possibility of having this exponent, this multiplier, you can store absolutely vast numbers. I can't remember what the actual figures are, but I think even in binary, which is how these numbers are actually stored, not powers of 10, as I've been using in my example, you can easily add a thousand dBs of gain if you're storing it as a floating point number. Even if the original fixed point number, the original 24-bit number was already maxed out. That's the power and the point of floating point is that suddenly you don't have to worry about these limitations of a fixed point number and the other interesting thing is that you can also divide by that exponent so you could divide by 10 divide by 100 divide by 1000 and that means that you can store absolutely tiny numbers as well you could apply minus 1000 db's of gain in the digital environment to your original signal level and then you could boost it back up again you wouldn't have lost anything yeah you know, if you if you turn a real analog signal or a fixed point digital signal down by a thousand dbs when you turn it back up again you'll either get nothing or just hiss but when you have a floating point number you can basically manipulate the gain of it in any way that you like and kind of it's fairly easy to understand from that that uh that's why people say that gain structure doesn't matter in digital because if you can boost or cut the level by a thousand dBs without any consequences it doesn't really matter what the signal level was to begin with or what you do with it Um, how did I do in explaining that
1: it made sense to me but we did have that that pre-discussion discussion discussion going into this and the thing is floating point only exists inside of the computer can't even happen inside your uh, analog to digital converter or your digital to analog converter so once it Goes, gets to either end of your computer from your microphone to your speaker you know it It just it doesn't exist anymore you're you're stuck with a, a fixed point
0: yeah it's, well, it's a temporary it's, storage format isn't it it's, you can use it to manipulate the numbers yeah. but at the end of the day you have to play the digital signal back and at that point it has to be reduced back into a fixed point number because there are no floating point converters um right. you know, i mean analog to digital and digital to analog converters are built from electronic components you can give them plenty of bits you can't reconfigure the electronics in real time or anything uh wild like that
1: right so i brought up the analog stage of it because uh, there is the option of recording in your DAW at a 32-bit float format but what you're actually getting is a 24-bit file Um, you don't get that floating point benefit until you start adding some processing until you actually render it as a new audio file.
0: Right. And I think, in fact, that's that even varies from door to door. Um, I think Pro Tools, for example, asks you to define the bit depth of the session, and that determines the how the signal will be recorded. So if you set the bit depth to be 16-bit, it will only record 16-bit files. Pro Tools nerds will have to correct me if I'm wrong about this. Um, whereas if you set it to 32-bit floating point it will then record a 24-bit signal but it will allow you to perform floating point calculations on that signal um so yeah it's 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 a it's a good point it's a it's a kind of temporary state
1: and the mixers inside of a dot will always perform at 32-bit or 64-bit float the mixers themselves can't add any noise or add any distortion they're completely non-destructive. When we're talking about hardware digital mixers, there's some potential for that because of the analog components, um, usually like on the outputs or on the mic preamps and things like that. Um, or, or maybe the effects processors don't use floating point, so maybe it, it could go in and out of floating point and in integer math. That's one of the reasons I I would say that the gain staging in digital actually. Makes a difference. It's very important.
0: Well, this, this, yeah, and this is where things start getting interesting because, so I think hopefully we've explained why people say that gain staging doesn't matter. The problem with that is that there are lots of situations, even in a digital audio workstation, where it does matter that you need to know about so that you don't run into trouble. Um, so, in the things that you were talking about, I mean, one interesting thing is that Pro Tools has only fairly recently gone. 32-bit floating point if you're talking about the HD version that always used to be 48-bit fixed point and they did some clever uh maths with the master fader so that you could uh, record signals that were higher or create signals that were higher than zero inside the DAW without uh, causing clipping distortion but even so it was still a fixed point system. The other interesting thing that you said there was you said that the mixer can't add distortion and noise. And I would agree with that if they're coded correctly. Uh, because you another kind of possibility is that there might be some bugs in some of the plugins that we use, especially in the way that they talk to the host DAW. But that's that's the mixer or the kind of the, the audio processing engine of the DAW itself. When you start talking about plugins actually all bets are off there are a ton of plugins that deliberately introduce noise and distortion and saturation and all of these kind of effects because they're modeling or emulating analog hardware so you know if you think of any of the uad plugins that emulate an 1176 or a fairchild or whatever if you think about slate virtual tape machines or the virtual consoles thing i mean harrison mixbus is a DAW that has all of that stuff built in it it tries to make the mixing experience more like using a traditional analog console by having all of these kind of saturation effects on by default so it's not that those things are not possible in digital they should only happen deliberately um but I've definitely heard stories about plugins that were poorly coded so that you know for example the exponent part of the 32-bit floating point number would get lost um so your number would get truncated and possibly with the wrong amount of gain applied all kinds of stuff could in theory go wrong because of problems i think these days we're probably in a situation where that's a fairly small risk but it's definitely a possibility you mentioned another situation which is where if the signal is going out through some hardware or even in some cases being passed to a different part of the digital system um another pro tools thing is that it used to have accelerator cards in it. Some of the processing was handled by the CPU of the computer and some of it was handled by the processor card and you had to be very careful about how the information was passed to the card and back again in terms of the bit depth and all of the rest of it to make sure that nothing went awry there.
1: And with those old Pro Tools systems, the plugins themselves were 48-bit, so there is a fixed ceiling. There's a maximum amount of volume that those can handle and... If you're clipping one, the next one can't be turned down to remove that clipping. Uh, If it was floating point, like most modern DAWs, uh, that is the case, unless, of course, you're using analog modeling plugins and things like that.
0: Right. And I think there's another issue that I want to kind of raise that you mentioned briefly when you were talking about what gain staging is, uh, which is that. A lot of the, especially in the the kind of the debates that I've been watching and taking part in on Facebook, most of the uh, discussion has been about, okay, you do need to avoid clipping, um, you do need to avoid getting too much noise into the signal, but otherwise, gain staging is irrelevant in a digital system, you know, assuming you're aware of the kinds of plugins that you're using and all this kind of, all these issues. But I think it's a bit more complicated than that. All plugins come with presets and most people use plugins you know what you, you start out by bringing the plugin in and you probably flick through the presets to get a starting point somewhere that sounds reasonably good that you can then refine and tweak that um you know even when i'm mastering i have some default settings and default settings in a plugin are effectively a preset whether you think of it that way or not you know for an eq that's fine a digital eq the Purely digital, you know, no, no analog noise modeling or any of distortion or any of that stuff. Uh, it doesn't matter how loud the signal is, the EQ will just do its job. It's what's known as a linear process. But a compressor has a threshold and a ratio. So it de- the way that the compressor reacts to the signal depends on how loud the signal was coming in in the first place. So say for the sake of example, if your signal is 10 dBs hotter, than the people who set up the preset in the compressor thought it might be or had when they were setting up the preset even made them you would hope that they thought about the end user but i guess that's not a given when you flick through those presets you're hearing all of those presets running 10 dbs hotter than they were designed to operate now you can just raise the threshold by 10 dbs but lots of people i mean especially if you haven't got this idea of gain staging in your head you might not even think to do that you know you record a good hot signal in from your mic and your a to d converter uh, you bring it in you lift the level up so that it's peaking up nicely into the red and you add in a plug but if that plug was designed to operate with loudness levels at about say minus 14 minus 18 lufs and you're already up at -4 or -8 none of those presets are going to sound the way that the designers expected you would hear them so the question in that case is whether the user would ever hear a clean signal you know i mean you could even imagine if if 20 dB of gain was added i mean it's a fairly extreme example but it might not even be possible to raise the threshold of the compressor high enough to stop gain reduction happening so you would always hear the compressor working with gain reduction and if it's an analog emulating plug-in that has some of that saturation and distortion stuff built in that that overdrives in the way that an analog compressor might do again the person using it is never going to hear that the way that the person who designed it intended it to now there are people who say doesn't matter if you like the sound of it it's all good but i think for me personally i like to start off with any type of processor using it the way it's intended to be used and then once I'm kind of comfortable with the basic operating of it, then I start to push it to the extremes and listen to what it does when you start to break the rules. If you like, I think that's you know that's a, a far from ideal situation if somebody isn't hearing the gear or the plugins that they're using in the way that they were intended, um, and it also depends on the order that the processing happens in. Um, so you know, there's a huge difference between adding a soft clipping process before you run a signal through a compressor as there is to adding it after you run it through the compressor. And if you don't have, so just for example, if the signal is nice and low and is not really doing any clipping, then you'll hardly hear the effects of the clipper and the compressor will react one way. But if actually there's an extra 10 dBs of gain going in there because you haven't gain staged it, there'll be quite heavy amounts of, or could be quite heavy amounts of clipping taking place Which will change the sound quite dramatically before it hits the compressor, will change the way that the compressor reacts um, and dramatically affect the sound. So I think, again, that's another situation where I think that gain staging absolutely does matter in a digital environment. It's okay, it's a it's a digital environment where decisions have been made to not have it operate in the floating point way that it's capable of, but those are that's a really valid situation and a really common situation. You know, there's, there's a ton of plugins that work that way.
1: Several times in there you, you mentioned uh, using them the way they're intended. Uh, but there are also situations where you get great results by using them when, in a way that they're not intended. So uh, let's say the, the SSL bus compressor, if you hit that with a really hard signal and it's, it's constantly pinned, That can sound really amazing on drums or for parallel compression. Like you mentioned it last week, if you're a Beatles fan, there are all these techniques that were invented by doing it the wrong way, ignoring the instruction manual and things like that, not operating in the optimal, the sweet spot of that piece of gear. In a mastering context, one thing that comes to mind is intentionally clipping a hardware converter as part of the signal chain and uh respecting gain staging is not going to make that work
0: no i mean we we did a whole episode on clipping for anybody listening to this which uh we can include a link to that episode in the show notes on the com if you want to check that out but we kind of talked about clipping hardware converters in that episode i, it, I don't think it's something that either of us particularly is a fan of but you're absolutely right and and yeah, as we said last week, just talking about, you know, in that whole discussion about does it matter if you can or can't hear it, and is it okay to break the rules? I absolutely think it is valid to break the rules, and if you intentionally break the rules and create a sound that you like, that's good, That that's fine, uh, because you've knowingly done something, had an effect that is unexpected and chosen to go along with it. For people to say that gain staging doesn't matter, technically that's accurate, but it only doesn't matter if you understand what you're doing and how you're breaking the rules. Because imagine the other situation where somebody who isn't thinking about gain staging or maybe even doesn't know about gain staging comes in and accidentally starts breaking those rules and gets a sound that actually they're not that keen on. But they don't think they can get any other result because they don't realise the. I mean, rules again is is too hard a word. But they're guidelines, right? You know, it's uh, people talk about the nominal operating level of a piece of gear. It's the it's the level that it was intended to operate at when it was designed. It's not like a rule that you have to use it in that way. It's just that's what's recommended.
1: It's usually the point where there's the lowest noise and the lowest amount of uh THD total harmonic distortion
0: yeah i mean it's it's another sweet spot i'm always going on about sweet spots uh on this show and it's it's right it's finding the the perfect balance between having enough headroom and little enough noise and all the rest of it but again almost every component in a in a an audio signal chain is designed to do something um and if you're assuming that the signal comes in in the sweet spot Everything is going to be set up with that expectation in mind. So yeah, I mean, just to take an extreme example, if somebody doesn't realize that you shouldn't typically clip an analog to digital converter unless you're going for a deliberate effect, that used to happen a lot when I first started out. Uh, People used to send their masters in on DATS, digital audio tape, which have digital peak meters. And these days, most people know that you shouldn't push a digital peak meter into the red unless you want to go for a hard-clipped digital sound. Back then, people didn't realize that. They were used to analog meters where it was normal to let the needles peek up into the red. And it was even normal to let uh, the kind of the, the new <laughs> LED displays that were, had just kind of come out peek up into the red because those were designed to behave in the same way as the needles that had gone before them. So people would let DAP machines slam up into the red and they'd be clipping the hell out of the signal and not realize that the reason it sounded a bit gritty um and a bit scratchy and kind of fizzy was because they weren't using it and the way that it was intended um and quite often when you explain this to people it was a revelation to them that you know they were kind of like oh right that okay that's why and and that's what i mean if you understand how something is meant to work then you can make an informed choice about whether you're gonna use it that way or not But if you don't understand how it's meant to work, if you don't understand gain staging, you're kind of thrashing around in the dark. You you know, if you're lucky, you might get a great result, but you might not. And, I mean, another thing is a lot of these analog emulating plugins are designed to do that sexy thing that, you know, the Fairchild or whatever it was used to do. People pay money expecting to get that effect without realizing that in order to get the effect that you're going for that you would have heard back in the 70s or whatever when you were using that piece of kit you need to use it in a certain way and if you don't you're not going to get that effect you're going to get something completely different potentially
1: we talked about the difference between the, the VU meters and, and LED meters and, uh, and switching from DAT to, or from analog to, to DAT um, or any sort of digital recording they're, they're totally different operating levels and I, I think people didn't realize this I wasn't I wasn't (laughs) there but (laughs) red on a VU meter is like plus four be minus 16 I think uh in digital
0: yeah depending how the VU I mean that's another thing depending how the VU meter was calibrated actually this reminds me we should probably not go down the whole tangent of metering because I've had a couple of requests to do another show about metering talking specifically about the kind of differences that you're talking about um whether we can successfully do that on a podcast where you can't have a diagram, I'm not sure, but it's no. definitely a challenge worth considering <laughs> accepting um, but yeah, even in the analog world, without even introducing the kind of confusion of transitioning from analog to digital, there were different operating levels there was there was pro line level that was four dB's hotter than consumer line level, yeah. for example, yeah let's face it it's it's audio right people make it as complicated as they possibly can. <laughs>
1: There's too many standards. Let's standardize this. And then there's one more standard.
0: Yeah. Or let's abolish all the standards and and it'd be complete chaos. You mentioned something specific about mastering a few minutes ago, and I think maybe we should try and wrap this up by bringing this back to mastering. You know, we've been talking very generally about gain staging and digital versus analog and and how those things relate. And hopefully we explained it in a way that was helpful or at least intelligible (laughs) to everybody listening. Okay, so the irony of this is I've been taking part in all these Facebook discussions over the last week or two and basically saying, yes, I do think gain staging matters, meaning I think it's really important that people understand how it works so that they know when they have to pay attention to it and when they don't in the digital environment. I even have, there's even a module in the Home Mastering Masterclass course called Digital Gain Staging and Why It Matters. But actually, most of the time when I'm mastering, I completely ignore it. Uh, One of the most common questions I get from people doing the home mastering course is, well, you've put your gain boost right at the beginning of the chain, so all of the plugins are going into the red. Doesn't that matter? And the answer is no, because they're all floating point plugins. None of them are doing analog emulation. So the floating point system can happily record levels that are, or or deal with levels that are above 0 dB full scale, and providing I bring everything back into control at the end of the chain, which I usually do with a limiter, everything's fine. So yeah, there I am saying, no, 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 digital gain staging is really, really important. You've got to pay attention to it. And actually myself, I hardly ever do. That's not completely true. There's uh, one situation where, so I, li- I like to use the TC Electronic mastering plugins that that come with their hardware PowerCore 6000 Uh, firewire unit that does have floating point in and out but the actual processing of the plugins is i think 48 bit fixed point so basically they they have a maximum of 12 dbs headroom above zero when you're going in so i do pay attention in fact i i gain stage with those plugins and i keep i apply the gain boosts carefully either within a limiter plugin or afterwards or whatever it is, in order to... I I deliberately avoid clipping the input to those plugins and also clipping the output from those plugins just to be on the safe side. And, of course, if I use something where I want to try and impart a bit of analog flavor, if I'm actually sending something out to an analog piece of gear or whatever, then, again, I pay attention to gain staging. Um, You mentioned uh, just a kind of really straightforward situation where almost anybody... In mastering, wants to pay attention to gain staging, which was the the peak level when you move the material onto the mastering stage. This is another thing that people have been getting upset about on the internet. <laughs> um, I've recommended in the past that people leave about 60 dBs of peak headroom when they send their music to be mastered. But of course, that doesn't really matter. It's absolutely fine to have the peak levels go up to zero, providing you're not clipping. The minus six figure is just a rule of thumb to keep people uh safe really and i mean you were saying you think that it, things get easier when people do that when they give you a bit more peak headroom is that right
1: yeah absolutely if there's six or eight, even 12 db of headroom that means that they're probably using less limiting or compression on their master bus when they're doing their mix and they've probably been more careful throughout the process to not be constantly pushing the master and i, I do a lot of mixing so i know that it's very easy to keep pushing your levels up. The the singer's always like, more me. The bass player's like, more me. And the master (laughs) gets into the red very easily. So I understand. Uh, But when you get to mastering, it's nice to be able to have the option of turning things up or down to get the right balances. Uh, Not just up, not just down. um, But somewhere around the, like, minus 12 dBFS for peak level, or minus 6, totally cool. That leaves... You know, that leaves 6 to 12 dB of headroom for me to clip if I choose to, compress if I choose to, limit, all these things without ever seeing the clip lights come on in my DAW. Anytime that it, where, it's, where it's just everything slammed, there's no headroom, you can only turn it down, you can't really restore that. Even, even if they were printed in 32-bit floating point, depending on the processing, you can't remove that. So
0: Yeah, the the analogy is always with a steak, isn't it? If if somebody asks for their steak medium and it comes off of the grill bloody, you can always put it back on for a minute or two more. But once the steak is burned, it's burned. <laughs> um <laughs> and the same thing applies to audio. You know, you can always add a little bit more compression, a little bit more limiting if you need to bring the level up or whatever. But once it's clipping, once it's saturated, once the compression is in there, it, it's kind of baked into the sound. And yeah I I agree I you know I mean we can always turn it down like you say and providing no harm has been done before you turn it down it doesn't actually make you know there's no difference if the if somebody supplies you a signal that's peaking at zero and you turn it down by 60 dBs that's no different than them supplying it peaking at minus 6 to begin with providing nothing happened in the process of it getting up to that much hotter level in the first place the reason I like to recommend minus six is that it just encourages people to be more conservative at every previous stage of the chain. You know, it's kind of a shortcut without having to get them to listen to an hour-long podcast on gain staging. <laughs> um, if you just recommend keep your peaks down about minus six, they'll probably chances are they'll have lower peak levels on all of the channel faders, which means that there are lower levels hitting the plugins in the mix, which means that when they all get summed together, the final stereo output is lower. And yeah, there's just less risk of all of those things um, being overcooked. I kind of made this point in one of the discussions I was taking part in, and I was accused of not trusting people to do things right themselves. It's not that I don't trust people to get it right. It's just I've seen stuff done wrong so many times. Um, It just seems to me that encouraging best practices is, is a sensible way to go. I think I've said this on a show before. When you get something that's overcooked, I always ask the client if it's possible to get a, a, a version where the levels are more conservative. Um, that sometimes that takes it is. time
1: away from actually doing the work.
0: Yeah, it, it holds things up. You know, usually somebody sent it to you, they need it back to the following day. It, it can hold things up. It's annoying for them. They f- kind of feel some kind of degree of criticism from that comment. Um, it's almost always worth doing, you know, in the... Sometimes it's not possible, but in the situations where it is possible, you almost always get a better result. Um, so I think it's much better to encourage people to get that better result themselves earlier on in the chain than have to do it retroactively at the last minute at the mastering stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if you say, like, keep 60B of peaks, it's more likely to be a more dynamic mix coming in. But if if you don't say anything at all, it's going to be right at zero. Maybe not, but, you know there is a chance of that. And, and I like that rule of thumb. I, I'm, I'm a fan of that stuff because you can't always say, well, this is how I like it to be done. But to explain it, you need to listen to this hour long podcast and then check out our episode on, on dither. And then watch these, all these videos. They just want to know the number. Like they just, they don't need your life yeah. story. <laughs> they, they want I'm to sorry. know the number and that's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. And so, so for anybody listening who's interested in this and is kind of thinking, well, okay, now I know that gain staging or understanding gain staging is important. What do I do? If you want uh, a rule of thumb or a guideline in terms of gain staging itself, I would say, uh, use your loudness meter to set your loudness levels on each channel of a mix at roughly somewhere between minus 18, minus 14 dBs that probably means you're going to have peaks getting up to -6 minus -3 minus those kind of levels if you do that using a trim plugin or however you choose to do it and then you start adding plugins in and they emulate analog gear or they whatever reason there's a good chance that they're going to be operating in the expected area and you're going to be good so that's that's a good rule of thumb and it's again you get people who kind of go don't stop telling me rules let me you know be creative and be free and all the rest of it it's it's just a guideline it's just something that makes everybody's life easier you know the the great thing about that rule is you can offer it to somebody there aren't going to be any downsides to that you know somebody can not know anything about gain staging if they use that rule of thumb okay i'll have all my channel faders roughly around minus 18 as a starting point and they work from there minus 18 l u f s or minus 18 RMS if you're using an RMS meter, they're roughly the same thing. If you use that guideline, I don't see a downside to that.
1: That also puts your track faders right around the unity mark, usually, for mix. So you can yeah. go plus 6 or minus 12, and that's usually enough range. You don't have to have your fader down at the bottom of the, the range. Where it's yeah. harder to automate. Yeah, so Absolutely. That's another reason I like to do that in the
0: mix. Absolutely. And then... While you're doing that and getting decent results, you can start learning about gain staging and experimenting with pushing things harder or breaking the rules, and you can do all of that creative stuff. Whereas to come at it from the other angle and just start out saying, ah, you don't need to worry about digital gain staging, you open up the possibility that you're actually gonna get a train wreck of a mix where everything is crushed and distorted. You're still gonna have to learn gain staging anyway to fix all of those problems but you're redoing the work. You know, it's just, to me, it's kind of common sense. Um, but, you know, everybody has different opinions about these things and that's okay. That's that's what makes things uh, interesting in this wonderful world of recording and mixing and mastering and all the rest of it.
1: I think using the rule of thumb is probably just as bad as saying don't worry about it at all.
0: Oh, you mean using the rule of thumb as a kind of, yeah, handed to you on stone tablets kind of thing?
1: you don't trust them to do it right. Like, well, you're telling them not to think about it at all. And that's just as bad.
0: We should probably get rid of the expression rule of thumb, right? Because it includes the word rule. I think guideline sure. is a much, I'm going to try and start saying guide. I'm always saying rule of thumb. And I, I think uh, guideline is a much better or suggestion because you know, that's what the recommendation, all of those things, that's what they are. They're suggestions, recommendations, uh, not rules. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if somebody out there is going to be supplying their mix to a mastering engineer and it's peaking at minus five, don't worry. It's peaking at minus four, yeah. don't worry. If it's peaking at minus three, don't worry. But maybe check that you're not pushing anything too hot elsewhere in the chain before you send it off.
1: Uh, and I think. Is not drinking the water it, when you're on vacation in Mexico a guideline or a rule? Very good point.
0: <laughs> it's a guideline that I broke when I went to Morocco. And I regretted. <laughs> I I'd had the salad. A <laughs> well, so it was a guideline that was offered to me, and it's now a rule that I have.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel that way about about mastering.
0: I agree. And I mean, I think in, in the mastering context, it is important because of, you know, the, the kind of primary rule of do no harm. I think it'd be really, really hard to do a great job of being a mastering engineer if you didn't understand and pay attention to gain structure even if you choose to ignore it i mean that's kind of the position i'm in right i understand all of this stuff i've done gain staging for analog i've done gain staging for digital and most of the time i don't worry about it while i'm mastering because i don't have to it's just when i pull in the odd plugin or use this or that process or run something out to a piece of analog hardware or whatever it is and at that point i know what i need to do no to avoid any problems, and to get a great result. And that's that's the goal. So I think the mastering maxim for this week, and apologies to anybody who likes the mastering maxims and missed one last week. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the, the, so the maxim this week would have to be understand gain staging. By all means, understand it and decide it's not relevant to you. By all means, understand it and decide that, yes, you're going to, you know these were best practices for 20 or 30 years of analog recording maybe it's not a good idea to throw them out with the bathwater just because we happen to be using digital hardware but whichever way you decide make that decision based on an understanding and then go out and make great recordings and masters all right i hope you guys found that useful or interesting thanks john for bouncing ideas around as always and providing helpful interjections and for mixing and editing the episode. Thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. Please head over to themasteringshow.com sign up to the hot list to get email notifications of future episodes. Please tell a friend if you enjoy The Mastering Show and think that they would like it too. That's how I find all of my favorite podcasts is just by recommendations from other people so please help spread the word. John, thanks a lot. Yeah, my pleasure. And thanks for listening.